Hello, Dominic Kramer. Hello, Katie Lee. Uh, and hello, everyone listening. Um, oh, I feel like I'm in primary school again. Hello, everybody. We are back with the final episode of the year. Don't cry. Can you believe it, Katie? I can believe it and I'm not crying because I need a holiday. It's been quite a year. An amazing year, obviously. Don't get me wrong. It's been brilliant. But um, it's, it's time for a bit of a rest, frankly. Are you actually getting any holiday? I am. And um, as you know, I am leaving my job at the end of the year to focus more on this podcast, which is very exciting. So I'm going to take a proper rest before you begin working me to the bone in January. That is exciting and slightly concerning for the finances, I imagine. (laughs) We'll work that one out later. We will, somehow. But anyway, I'm getting a bit of a head start on my holiday because I'm actually getting to take this week off the podcast, really. And that's because uh, you've got a story for us. That's true. Um, Yeah, I took the reins and I went to Budapest to visit a bar. Given that when we're actually in the same place and we do go to a bar together, you usually order like a green tea. I don't really see you as someone that would normally visit a city specifically to go to a bar. Yeah, that's true. But this bar is a bit different. It's become a centre point to the resistance against the local authorities and in particular against Fidesz, the party of Viktor Orban. Orban was first Hungarian Prime Minister in the late 90s and began a second stint in the job in 2010. He rose to power initially on a relatively moderate platform but has evolved into a right-wing populist anti-migrant leader. He even built a wall. And he's been making some other pretty concerning decisions since he came to power nine years ago. They are uh, destroying the democracy in Hungary and I would like to protest against this. You get to a point where all diverging opinions, where all critical voices are silenced. Hungary has achieved uh, this dubious distinction of being named the least democratic country between all the 28 members of the EU by an independent watchdog, Freedom House. When I was visiting Budapest in September, I was struck by how much power Orbán's party, Fidesz, held, both at the national and local level. In Parliament, Fidesz has a supermajority, meaning the party holds two-thirds of the seats. This leaves the opposition parties pretty much locked out of the governing process entirely. Using this supermajority, he did something called court packing. He increased the number of judges so that he also had a supportive majority on the constitutional court. Occasionally, when that court does rule a new law unconstitutional, He just amends the constitution using his supermajority. Almost all of the media is supportive of Fidesz in some way. One by one, opposition papers have been disappearing and editors that are sceptical of Fidesz fired. The Centre for Media, Data and Society estimates that 90% of Hungarian media is directly or indirectly controlled by Fidesz. So how does a bar find itself central to what seems like a pretty impossible fight against an incredibly powerful and increasingly authoritarian government? And can a bar actually change anything? A local called Jury was my guide for the evening. 
Okay, so my name is Yuri Bihari, and I am from Budapest. I was born here. I'm actually 40 years old. I'm going to be 41 in a couple of months. I make my living as an English teacher. I have two kids. I suppose that's the most important. Can I curse? Yeah. Is that okay? Okay. So then I do a, a shitload of uh, volunteering. The volunteering that Jury does a shitload of is mainly at this bar, Aurora. So the name is Aurora Community Center. Uh, we also like to call it the uh, like an NGO hub, but that's mostly when we are trying to apply to get some money. <laughs> so community center, NGO hub, bar, it depends who they're speaking to. It seems to cover all those bases, plus quite a lot more. They host exhibitions, plays, parties, discussions, community events. They do a bit of everything, really. There is a Jewish background to this place. Every Friday, there is a, a Sabbath ceremony here. Uh, you can find a Torah uh, cupboard over there. <laughs> the building is hidden away on a residential back street. And when you arrive, you find yourself in a nice but shabby courtyard. You walk into a bright bar with some beautiful homemade furniture. Downstairs is a slightly damp room, and on the night I'm visiting, it has a DJ in it, but not many people actually dancing. Upstairs you find a bunch of NGO offices, and next to the bar, there's a bigger space they use for exhibitions. So this is uh, what we call the big room. You can see that it's not that big. It fits like uh, 50 people if they really squeeze in. He's right, it's not that big, but I get the impression that the space is really valued by the people who get to use it. Civil society is very important for us. And the idea is uh, to provide help, a place, like even a physical place, for different initiatives. So the model is that we have a bar, which is supposed to make enough money so we can maintain the place which is a little bit complicated because also we are not, let's just say, we don't have the best relationship with the current political power, <laughs> especially here in this district with the local municipality. Aurora not having the best relationship with the current political power? That's a little bit of an understatement. We'll get back to that later. The night before, I went on a recce and found a pretty cool party taking place at Aurora. At my grand old age of 31, I felt positively ancient. I was one of only a few people over the age of 20 at this totally crammed event run by a homelessness charity. I couldn't find any drinks, though. Why financially it's very difficult to run in this place, it's because of the local municipality. I think they tried to shut us down five times. In the last five years, maybe six, uh, I can't keep count anymore. <laughs> and they also withdrew our uh, license to, to run the bar after 10 o'clock. Most of our income was generated on these parties. Aurora feels very different from night to night, and the next evening it was much more mixed in age and actually full of people whose very presence in the bar felt like a political statement. This is the right place to be. Everybody is welcome here. You was organizing? 
So for me it's like a place for protest, but also some social activities beyond the regular. And yeah, you can uh, meet a really random people. <laughs> For example, you. <laughs> so I really love this place because... Uh, Aurora was set up by a Jewish NGO called Marom and now hosts eight more NGOs, including Budapest Pride and the Roma Press Agency. The work of these NGOs is particularly necessary in Aurora's neighbourhood, District 8, Josef Farosh. Could you try and describe District 8 to someone who's never been here? Yeah, I also consider myself like a, a local patriot. Uh, it's it's difficult to put into a few sentences, but yeah, I would say that it's the most mixed district of Budapest, and historically it's been uh, one of the poorest. It's been uh, a district of minorities, especially from the thirties on, and it's been historically the Roma district. Before that, some parts of it was historically Jewish. Most of the uh, uh, refugees who come to Hungary and move to Budapest, uh, they tend to settle here in the East District. I always like to say that the East District is interesting because it's a small model of the country itself. Sometimes people say that when it comes to propaganda, they always try it out here first. It's very anti-NGO, it's very, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. The homeless is a huge target in Despite these difficulties, Aurora makes a real effort to make the neighbours feel welcome in the building. It doesn't always work out. Do you have any difficulties with the neighbours? Presumably there is some noise here. Does everyone welcome you? So there are a few people who really pissed off at us, and then most of the neighbours are fine. Jury told me that they've tried hard, but most of the local residents don't actually visit. Instead, they learn about it through the local paper. Which is published by the municipality. It's through the, the websites and the media, which is run by the government itself. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And why I, I mentioned the municipality is that what they are saying is that uh, they are trying to shut us down because of the neighbours, because of the constant complaining, which is simply not true. One of the most effective lines of attack has been to refer to the people and NGOs at Aurora as agents of Soros, referring to George Soros, the billionaire Hungarian philanthropist. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban has portrayed Soros as a financial speculator only interested in mass migration into Europe. Soros also warned the EU that it's facing an existential... Soros is Viktor Orban's number one enemy. Orban, his party Fidesz and their friends in the press have done all they can to make Soros a hate figure in Hungary and they've been pretty successful at it. The fact that Soros has spent decades funding groups who strive for liberal democracy seems to really annoy Orban. In Hungary, Viktor Orban based his entire re-election campaign on falsely accusing me of planning to flood Europe Hungary included, with Muslim refugees. In fact, Soros is the enemy of many populists around the world, with a pretty constant stream of weird conspiracy theories circling his name. Radical resistance. You ever see their signs? Resist. 
They say, what are you going to resist? I don't know. They'll go to a person holding a sign who gets paid by Soros. Or Some of the NGOs at Aurora do indeed receive funding from Soros' Open Society Foundation. It's one of the few reliable sources of funding for the work they're doing in Hungary. But branding Aurora as Soros agents is a clear attempt to turn the public against Aurora. I read various reports about a steady flow of legal fights between Aurora and the local government and wondered if that had all calmed down at all. Are you currently in legal proceedings with the local government still? Uh, Always. (laughs) Some of these legal threats from the local municipality have been pretty dramatic. Sometimes the police will come to Aurora, they'll shut down events quite suddenly or conduct drug searches of everyone on the premises. That said, they have been receiving a lot of support from the international community. The US House Majority Leader visited them a few months back, and they even had a leading European podcast making a special episode about them. I wondered whether that was helpful, or whether it made them more of a target. I'm not sure we can become more of a target. <laughs> because we've been called Soros' uh, headquarters in Hungary. So, you know, like most of the of the media is owned by government interest groups and oligarchs by now. So it's not that difficult to, to get in there with a negative <laughs> coverage. At the same time, yes, it is helpful. And I always say that, you know, bad publicity is still publicity. Uh, so, for example, the first time we were shut down properly, uh, you know, we started crowdfunding and donations and we collected a lot of money. Jury wanted to show me the community garden that's in a parking lot attached to the building. It was a very quiet night out on the street. You can see it's a very dangerous street because of us, <laughs> if you look around. The authorities and much of the local media paint the visitors of Aurora as a threatening presence on the street. The people I saw around Aurora seem pretty friendly. If you come back in an hour and you pop out, then there's going to be two... It's like municipality police, so they are not the proper police, but they are, you know, like policing around this district. And it's like every night two of them standing across the building. They are not doing anything. We actually have, oh, it's a good place for advertising. Uh, We have an Instagram page, because whenever they are, we, we take a picture of them, and then we put it up on Instagram. And, you know, it's not personal. It's for the fun of it. How do they react to being photographed? Well, we always tell them that, you know, uh, we're not going to show their faces. Sometimes they take a picture back. <laughs> we really hope that they're also going to start, like, a, an Instagram page. when it's like, you know, because the name is like a picture of the municipality police guy every night. And we really hope that they're going to start, like, a, you know, a picture of an Aurora guy every night. It would be nice. The garden we're standing in has tons of planting boxes that are looked after by local residents. It also has an outdoor kitchen. When I went back the next morning, it was full of volunteers from a group called Food Not Bombs, a charity that provides meals for homeless people. My name is Daniel. We've been uh, distributing food for uh, several years now. We are cooking uh, approximately like 140 and 180 portions of food every weekend. We are getting the vegetables from the markets, which the marketers 
I usually throw away. They don't throw it away anymore because they just uh, keep it for us and we just take the vegetables and make some vegan dishes uh, on Sundays here in Aurora. We've been in Aurora for like almost two years now and it is a very important place to us because right now we don't have anywhere else to go so it is important. It was nice being at Aurora because I felt like it was a place that showed the best of humanity. There were all these amazing people like Jury and Daniel giving up their time to help other people and to welcome those who feel unwelcome in so many parts of the city. It was also pretty gloomy because of the way the authorities were giving them such a hard time. But there was this one very concrete reason for optimism. An NGO which Jury works for called C8 had worked to choose a mayoral candidate in this district that all of the opposition parties would get behind. Well, the idea is that to make political changes, you should start it at the local level. The district itself is very interesting because uh, who is running for mayor as a candidate is not a party politician, but uh, in Hungary we would call him a, a civil guy. Somebody who's been uh, volunteering for different civil organizations for the last 10 years, I think now. He is this credible guy. Together, we are trying to, to win back uh, the Ace District. And have you got a chance? Uh, well, that's always, <laughs> it's always the next question when I talk about this. Hopefully, we, we do. We don't know yet. <laughs> I'm optimistic, but at the same time, I'm also Hungarian. <laughs> so that's how I left it with Jury back at the end of September. He was Hungarianly optimistic, which means actually pretty pessimistic. And it sounds like he has some pretty good reasons to be pessimistic. Yeah, at the last election in District 8, the Fidesz candidate had won with a majority of over 8,000 votes, with a total electorate of 18,000. So Pico, the opposition candidate, had a pretty huge mountain to climb. And how did it turn out in the end? Well, they won. Andros Pico is now the new mayor of District 8, something that was basically impossible to imagine just a few months ago. Wow. So it sounds like this idea of all the opposition candidates like rallying behind one candidate, that went pretty well in the end. Yeah, not only did they win Pico's race, but they also won the big prize, the mayor of the whole of Budapest. Uh, And they won races in other cities across the country. In Budapest itself, they won 13 of the 23 district mayoral posts. So has all of this caused shockwaves in Hungary? Yes, uh, because this was the first major electoral defeat for Fidesz since 2006. We have since seen Fidesz try new tactics to push back against an emboldened opposition, but things are definitely better than they were before the election. Pico's victory in District 8, that must have pretty positive ramifications for Aurora. I think that's true and things are better, but they are still tough. Um, A few weeks after the election, a group of neo-Nazis tried to raid Aurora, burning the rainbow flag that sits above their entrance and writing neo-Nazi slogans on the wall. Jesus. It was a terrifying event. There's no question about that. But this time they had a very swift response from the police and from the local government. Their new mayor, Pico, was 
actually at the site within hours expressing solidarity and investigating what had happened. Mm -hmm. So for Aurora, experiencing this kind of support from the local authorities is a pretty new feeling. Mm. And I just hope that their work will become at least a little bit easier now that they don't have to fight the local authorities continuously. Well, Dominic, it sounds like we're going to have to send you back for another trip in a year's time to see how everyone's getting on. I'd love that. This episode was narrated and produced by Dominic Kramer. Philip Pollack came up with the idea and provided production assistance in Budapest. Editing came from Katz Laszlo and me, Katie Lee. Thanks to the experimental jazz rock band You, based in Budapest, for letting us use their music for this episode. You'll find a link to their stuff in our show notes. They also perform at Aurora sometimes, so you should go and check them out. We'd like to thank the European Cultural Foundation for supporting this episode. They support initiatives which promote Europe as an open and democratic space. And finally, thanks to Lar Kingsbeer for creating the beautiful artwork for our Postcards from Europe miniseries. If the artwork doesn't come up on your podcast feed, then head to our website, europeanspodcast.com, to take a look. This is our last episode until 2020. We have had a great time bringing you stories from across Europe this year, and we'll be back on January the 8th. Until then, Dominic and I wish you a very happy rest of the decade. See you next year. Bye.